Hello and welcome to the Book of Lose podcast. My name is Cara and I am your host. Thank you for tuning in to episode 54 of Book of Leaves with Paul McCormick Cooney. It is lovely to have you here. If this is your first time listening to Book of Leaves, welcome. My name is Cara. I am an actor, uh, work in events. I work as a tour guide. I do loads of different random jobs. I'm a jack of all trades and the environment is just something that I really like. So this is a bit of a passion project of mine. I've been an activist just for a couple of years and I interview people that are doing something good for the planet. They could be other activists, business owners, entrepreneurs, um, just everyday Joes doing their bit at home and and we just get to know them, know their story, why they started being eco-conscious and we take a leaf from their book to add to our own way of living. So that is where the name comes from, Book of Leaves. I have a website, I'm on social media so you can follow behind the scenes and in between episodes there. And if you want to be interviewed or you have topics that you would like to hear, just you can email me bookofleavespodcast at gmail.com or reach out to me on social media and I would love to hear from you. Now, this episode, we're going to be chatting to Paul McCormick, who is a fellow activist. I know him through Extinction Rebellion. He has a brilliant blog called Climate Dad, which I would definitely recommend checking out. And yeah, we chat about his perspective as a parent being an activist, his own journey. And then we touch on CETA as well. If you don't know what CETA is, it's a it's a trade agreement. And it is very confusing. It's been going on for a very long time. We don't know if it's going to be ratified, if it's going to be accepted. We probably will. And we really don't want it to be because it's really bad. And we'll talk about why it's bad. I'm using really simple words like bad because I don't fully understand things like this. My brain just goes and makes fuzzy noises when like political things start happening. I just like, you know, biodiversity talks and let's make a bird feeder. Like that's my kind of angle. So We have a discussion and break it down a little bit and I'll link resources, petitions and other anything else that I find that I think is useful to kind of read up on CETA. I'll link that in the show notes and if you don't have show notes on your description that are linked properly, check out bookoflesepodcast.com and you will find them there. Is that everything? Oh, we actually recorded this podcast months ago and I've been waiting for the right time and it seems like Cedar might kind of like bubble up again in the doll and be voted on. So that's why I'm releasing it now. So if anything seems a bit dated when we're talking, it's because this was recorded a few months ago. Now, um, that is it. I will let Paul do the rest of the talking. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, don't forget to follow on social media, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, Book of Lee's podcast. And I have a Patreon account. If you are able to support this podcast, um, you can subscribe to any amount you like, be it one euro, 10 euro, 20 euro a month. Um, everyone gets the same podcast, but you basically just know that you're also supporting me and I really appreciate that all the funds go towards the upkeep of the podcast the hosting fees whatnot and yeah you'll occasionally get behind the scenes blog posts and um bit when there's big news you're the first people to find out so if that's your jam um there is a patreon if you would like to subscribe to that or you can support the podcast once off on buy me a coffee buymeacoffee.com forward slash book of leaves 
no i think that is everything thank you so much for being here here's paul i hope you enjoy and i'll catch you after for some very quick show notes Paul, thank you so much for joining me on your lunch break. You are very welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks a million for having me, Cara. It's a pleasure. No worries. So let's jump straight in. I want to get to know you in front of or in the ears of all our listeners. So can you tell us a bit about where you're from and where you grew up? Um, yeah, I grew up in a very well-heeled area of uh, Dublin, Rathgar, but we weren't a well-heeled uh, family. Both my parents are kind of from farming backgrounds. Uh, my dad's from Cavan, my mom's from Leitrim. My dad drove a, a bus kind of all, all his life. So I have kind of this weird sort of uh, working class family, middle class upbringing kind of a thing. But when I tell people I'm from Rathgar, they go, ooh, Rathgar. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the had it, the response yeah. but yeah that's that's where i grew up and what kind of farm were like background were they from uh my dad was i think it was about it was, i want to say 12 acres um or no 40 acres i think 12 acres is quite small um i think it was about 40 acres um i don't really know what an acre is that like, <laughs> <laughs> me neither well, yeah. big lots of fields <laughs> Yeah, he was always classed as a small farm. He was the kind of farmer who did a bit of everything. Like kind of, he had a few cows, did a bit of dairy. They sold kind of eggs at the market and stuff like. So it it wasn't, um, it wasn't the kind of big operations that they they have nowadays. But we would spend kind of most of our summer holidays and stuff down in in, in Cavan, tromping around the fields and getting into trouble and stuff. So Brilliant. Yeah. And growing up, I guess, when you went on holidays to the countryside, were you as kind of fascinated by nature? Did you have like the kind of the awe-inspiring child. This is so cool compared to the city. Did you did you kind of have that? I I think I, I think probably the first time we did, but then kind of after a while we kind of got used to it. But um, when we went down, I don't think we went down with any sort of great appreciation at the time for kind of an uh, agricultural lifestyle or anything. Yeah. So now, obviously, you are a climate activist. Um. So what changed in your life? When when did that that eco consciousness awake? Um. It all it all happened kind of relatively recently. I went to college, did a bit of traveling after college. Um. I just did an arts degree. I didn't do anything kind of in in any way connected to um, environment or anything. And when I was traveling, I went to see um, Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth in Australia. That was in 2005, I think. It was in in January, which was like um, right in the thick of the Australian summer. They had just had their hottest summer on record. Um, at the time and I think that was probably just felt like oh this is just a coincidence um, and, and, and and then um, it was kind of later that year um, I think someone suggested we go see this documentary on the environment and I thought oh I, d- I don't really know enough about that I'm um, sure it sounds interesting and I think it's a bit dated now it explains the science behind climate change really really well and I kind of came out of that feeling like Oh my God, is this is this true? Are we in are we in this much trouble? Um, are we going to see it this soon? Um, and I spent kind of time then afterwards looking online for I think kind of reasons to 
disprove what I had seen. So it's yeah. like, you know, you're like, oh, someone tell me that he's got this all wrong and um, that this isn't true. And he's made some kind of fatal error somewhere along the in his calculations. Um, but like, I remember only finding criticism, criticisms of him more than criticisms of the content of his argument. And it was more just kind of, you know, Al Gore, people like Al Gore is kind of a controversial figure, I think, and, and, and any U.S. politician is, depending on whether, you're, you know, which side of the Democrat-Republican um, debate you're on. But from there, I kind of went, oh, well, you know, somebody's going to do something about this now that this film's out there and, you know, lots of people are seeing it and um, they're going to realize what's happening and someone's going to do something about it. Someone bigger and more important than, than me is going to do something. And then I just kind of continued to kind of keep an eye on various news articles as they popped up and um, things that would pop up in my feed or whatever you'd see just progressively worse and worse information kind of coming out. Always kind of like, yes, we've come to this big agreement, but it doesn't have actually any like solid requirements there's no like if you don't reach your targets nothing's going to happen so the sort of typical kicking the, the can down the road and then i think i turned away from it i kind of like i think a lot of people just kind of went like this is you know just sort of too overwhelming um and especially i i think one of the last articles i read was um david wallace wells who is a writer for um new york magazine and um, he wrote an article called the the uninhabitable earth and in very kind of stark terms described some of the things that we are facing into the future hmm. that again i went well, let, let me find out a reason why this is wrong um and there were more criticisms of that article in terms of um the language it used and that it, it would kind of demotivate people or um you know the extremes that he were he was describing would maybe not happen as quickly as he was just saying they would, but yeah, really being they, nitpicking and yes, definitely, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I, I kind of eventually found uh, there's a YouTube interview with him and Michael Mann, who's a very prominent um, U.S. climate scientist, and kind of just watched that. And, and Michael Mann was just kind of, yeah, well, everything you did say is actually accurate and it's just maybe it's not going to happen as quickly as as um the article gives the impression that it might but that that article for me then was like i was like okay i'm not i can't i can't cope with this now i think it was almost like a, that that was like really stick my head in the, the sand and and that was in 2017 i think that came out and then 2018 then was when the intergovernmental panel on climate change the the un's chief climate science body came out with their report that said we have until 2030 to cut global emissions in half and then get to net zero by 2050 um, to try and keep temperatures under one and a half degrees and then every you know chance every every fraction of a degree above that is we're, we're in, in more and more of a a position where we might not be able to to avoid the worst and i think that 2030 target it's it's been criticized by kind of a um a lot of people saying it's like oh you know you're, you're kind of saying that the world's going to end after 2030 and like that's not what the, the message was but um for me it was like my kids will be in my 2030s if you'll be 20 um and finn will be um 17 
and like they don't have any they will have no opportunity to affect the future that we're facing hmm. so um it was like i think that was the point where i was like i need to actually do something because i need to be able to look them in the eyes uh, you know 10 years from now and be able to say look i i tried to do something when it mattered that's when i kind of started looking around for something to actually do and kind of to i suppose become an activist and i didn't i didn't really think of it in that in those terms at the time but um something popped up in my facebook feed i think i i had kind of liked al gore's climate reality project as more kind of the page for that and um on it was um he does a, a, a kind of a training um for these climate leaders who kind of go out and give presentations um to you know whoever they can and on that there was a, a, a an irish woman and um, vicky brown who who went up on stage with them and i found out that um she had set up this cool planet experience um in wicklow it was a climate change museum that uh, was kind of encouraging kids and students to come in to learn about climate change. And and then I found out through that that they were doing um, a Cool Planet Champion training program, which was they were asking for volunteers from all over the country to come in, get trained up on how to talk about climate change, and then go out and, and give presentations to whoever wanted. So like companies would contact Cool Planet um, and ask for a cool plan champion to come in and give them a talk and from that we went in it was like um three days of training and it was it was really good it was great to be kind of in a room of uh 40 other people who were also kind of you know as concerned as as you were was that the first time you had that you think finding people that were as concerned as you yeah definitely yeah. definitely um like there was the kind of friends that i would chat to about it but i, th- I think because i had just in the previous number of years read so much on it that I was like, no, this is, this is, this is bad. Um, I was probably kind of a, a step higher on the um, concern level. And then to sit with like, so the first person who gave a talk in as part of the training was professor John Sweeney from Maynooth, who is one of Ireland's leading climate scientists, scientists, and, and he's contributed to some of the IPCC reports, like he gave a no-nonsense talk about, you know, this is why it's happening, this is where it's going, and we're in serious trouble. It was it was a really good and really encouraging start. And then kind of I started giving those presentations, but they kind of didn't happen as frequently as I thought they might or as I wanted to. And it was kind of, it, it took time to sort of do it yourself. But that was in uh, November 2018, I think, um, Extinction Rebellion in the UK blocked the bridges in in london and and like i remember thinking at that point these guys are a bit mad not like i i was like brilliant that these guys are doing it but i don't know they're extreme or something yeah yeah Yeah. it was just like there's a bit a bit more of a level than i'm prepared to go to yeah and then uh in 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 january february in um 2019 i decided to tag along to a a protest on shannon lng and the liquid natural gas terminal that they were kind of protesting and after that, there was um, uh, an XR meeting about planning a protest. And I thought, like, you know, I'll, I'll go I'll t- tag along and see what this is about. And in that, I just sat around a table with, again, a bunch of 
sound people just kind of like brainstorming ideas. What could we do? What, you know, and there were like five or six different tables, all just kind of people who were there for the first time. And we ended up planning the uh, funeral for humanity protest where we carried a, um, a coffin um, from O'Connell Street up to Grafton Street. That protest got front page newspaper coverage and kind of a lot of um, papers. And um, it felt like, you know, we were achieving something and getting the word out there. And, and um, from there, kind of in, in the process of planning, you're just joining Zoom meetings um, on a weekly basis with people from all over the country. And nobody really knows what they're doing. Like there's no kind of professional activists. You're just sort of brainstorming. Oh, I like that idea. Oh yeah. Oh no, well, there could be problems with that. And, and it was, it was fun. Like just the enthusiasm of, of people for, for doing this good thing um, was infectious and, and kind of, yeah, it, it just, that sort of just led to kind of being involved with XR kind of more and more. Then, then we went into like a, to the Department of Environment, that was kind of pretty crazy. Like, I was, what, what am I doing? But at the same time, thinking, you know, like it's it, with XR, it's it's a lot of people. A lot of people think kind of, oh no, these guys are too extreme. But like, I've always thought about it as it's it's trying to get the media to pay attention so that you get the message in front of the general public mm-hmm. and the wider public. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's kind of always been what it's, what it is, is for me. It's not so much, you, you sometimes do things that you're targeting politicians. You want them to listen to you. But I often feel that politicians, like they, they're listening to the general public, not yeah. you. Yeah. And, and until you move the wider public, you're, it's much more difficult to move um, uh, a lot, a lot of politicians. So, mm-hmm. so like, you went on that incredible journey from, you know, someone putting their head in the sand to gluing yourself to a government building. And alongside this, I know you work in pensions, which you you talk about in your blog. And your blog is really brilliant, by the way, and I can't wait to read more of it. And just the, the kind of the perfect link there is between pensions and trying to save your future like yeah that is that have you like have you ever talked about that with people who haven't quite got um you know aren't really concerned about climate but they have the knowledge I guess and the sense that you know preparing for a pension makes sense have you have conversations around that ever come up with people yeah, it's it's something that I kind of I I will mention in a lot of conversations with people just because it, it helps I think people make that link. Like pensions are probably something that they've conceptually thought about whether they have one or not. But um like like with the pension you're you're trying to engage people um in something that they need to do now but they won't see the benefit for many decades in the future. Um, and people, I think, understand that. Um, like one of the things in, in the pensions industry is that it, for, for a long time, it was marketed as like there'd be old people, pensioners on the um, covers of the various pension documents that, you know, are saying, you need a pension. Here's a picture of a pensioner. But when, when you're a 20 year, when you're a 20 year old, you're you're like when is the best time the earlier the best time to start saving for a pension is like straight away um so th- you wouldn't connect it you think that's something i can i can deal with later in my life but 
if you only start later in your life, you, you end up kind of screwed. There's a definite parallel then between trying to communicate climate change um, with that. One of the things that um, I remember talking to one of the guards during um, when we did Rebellion Week, the Extinction Rebellion, and we kind of occupied um, Marion Square. And I was trying to talk to one of the guards about um, climate change. And, and I was like, look, like it's, it's all about the carbon dioxide that's in the atmosphere. And right now, there's way more in the atmosphere than is safe to have. So like if I, if just to try and do the sciencey bit for a second, like carbon dioxide is, is measured in the atmosphere in parts per million. Normal levels, when people say about like, oh, we have these normal cycles, it's between 180 and 280 parts per million. And it's been like that for 800,000 years. Yeah, and it goes, goes up, up and, and down, down. Yeah. up and down, yeah. And then when the industrial revolution, we started kind of pulling out oil and gas and fossil fuels, which is compressed carbon. Um, and we would burn it and release it into the atmosphere. And now we've shot up um, the, the, the concentration of, of carbon um, in our skies. And 350 is considered the sort of last safe level. And we're now at 411. And I was trying to say this to the garden. I was like, it's, it's like, it's like when you turn on, you get your um, pot of water, and you put it on your, on your hob and you turn the, the heat straight up to the top. It, it doesn't immediately start boiling. It takes a little while for that to actually catch up. And there's that lag between where we're at now and the actual effect that we're going to see. It's like if we were to stop all emissions today, there's still 40 years on average before kind of it will plateau at, at the temperature that we've already created. So that's why we have to start reducing the amount that we're, we're putting into the, the atmosphere as soon as possible. So it's like that 40-year lag is what, as, as human beings, we're, we're far more concentrated on what's happening immediately in front of us. Mm -hmm. We're like kind of programmed by evolution to actually deal with survival right now. Planning into the future is not one of our, our strong points. And, and there's there's one of the things that they would show in some of these pension videos is the marshmallow test. They get kids and put them in a room and they say they put a marshmallow in front of the kid and they say, um, right, I'm going to leave the room for five minutes. And if I come back and that marshmallow is um, still there, you'll get two marshmallows. Um, but, but so many of the kids will just eat the marshmallow straight away yeah. because they, they're focused on what is immediately the immediate value. It's those same sort of issues that we have with when it comes to, to understanding climate change or how we need to act now to benefit into the future. But one of the things I think about having kids, like if you, if you don't have children, you might think, right, how bad is it going to get? <laughs> like if, if you know, uh, on a cynical sort of personal level, you might think, how is it going to affect me? How, how's it going to affect me? Exactly. Yeah. You might think, you know, okay, I'm, the worst of it is going to happen by X decade, and I'll be an old person. I'll have lived a good and healthy life, kind of at that point. Um, but when you have kids, it sort of extends the period of time that you're concerned about. Um, where you think, well, if I die at that point, but they'll still be left. And what if they want to have kids? So you, you become much more kind of connected to a future that you weren't connected with, with before. And, and then I started the, the blog Climate Dad and called it Climate Dad because that's kind of my shtick in a way is like kind of like I'm trying to say, look, as a parent, 
we we need to actually really be focused in on this right now because I think parents like we see the student strikers movement like the kids are already on top of it but you don't see the parents out in the same way as you see the kids Mm -hmm. and I think and and, and what people will often sort of dismiss things and say oh oh people don't care about climate change they're just they just don't care about it I I don't believe that I think they don't understand it I think that they don't because I didn't understand it for a long time it took me a lot of effort to kind of really sort of trying to disprove some of the things that I heard to then leading me around to it's like okay this is actually the science behind this is 100% concrete uh, but that takes effort and when you're distracted by getting the kids to school you know packing the lunches dealing with your own work dealing with you know the bills and everything it it's it takes time to to engage with that kind of stuff and when like you're putting things out in social media as like extinction rebellion or any other group there's a an algorithm that is connecting you to people who already like the stuff that you are putting out there yeah. so it's it can be very difficult to break outside that bubble and so i'm trying kind of to do the climate dad kind of thing as a way to break out into sort of the parent bubble and not just be like to be have one foot in the climate world and one foot in the dad world but it's still that the blog is very much a kind of a work in progress um, and it's still very much in the infancy stage, but um, it's kind of trying to develop it as I go along while also doing everything else, you know. Gosh, yeah. And touching on having kids again, how do you talk to them about what's going on? Like how, like what, do, what yeah, so how do you feel about that and, and how do you talk to them about it? Um, it's It's a difficult one to juggle all the time, but it's it's don't scare them is is the, the my first kind of rule it's like don't don't scare them but also be truthful with them um so like i was conscious when we first started talking my daughter was walking around um the the the, the kitchen and i was like okay need to sort of check my language here because i don't want her to to kind of be scared um, by anything that i'm saying but she's 10 and she kind of she knows who greta thunberg is her class talks about that kind of stuff as well we take them to protests and but like she said to me um she always talks about kind of when she she grows up she wants to have an apartment and have a dog and um she wants to travel <laughs> and like that's kind of her imagine it's like she wants to read books in her apartment with the dog oh. and then go traveling and um my wife and I, uh, Sheila, we met in Japan and she kind of has a um, a real interest in Japan because of our um, connection to, to Japan. And she said to me one night, like, what's the world going to be like when I grow up? Will I be able to travel and do all these things? Um, or is climate change going to going to change it? And I said, like, ca- caught, you know, on the, the, the back foot, like I was kind of like, well, climate change is, is going to, change things and if we don't do something about it it might be bad but daddy and mommy and lots of other people are trying to to work to make that not happen so that was it and yeah. i think you constantly question yourself did i say the right thing did i not say the right you kind of do that anyway but about everything with kids i think but uh i won't i won't lie to them but i won't i'll, I'll try and adjust what i'm saying to an age appropriate level yeah you know because part of it as well is that we're trying to, you know, make changes in the house. We don't eat meat anymore. 
we are trying to cut back on dairy step by step. It's like, right, okay, let's try and find now a non-dairy butter or something. And then it's like, but we like the old butter. And it's like, well, we, we're, we're trying to cut out these things because they're not good for the environment. And, you know, and, 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 and part of it's trying to adjust them to that kind of lifestyle. We have a, a raised bed in the, in the garden now that we built like a couple of years back and we started growing vegetables and that and trying to get them engaged with it. And, and, just in general, trying to get them to engage with making things, not wanting things, and um, not just kind of wanting, you know, junk. If we go into a, a pound shop or something, or if we're walking through, you know, it's like, oh, can I get that? And it's like, well, what do you? How long are you going to play with it for? Mm. You know, ten minutes and then throw it away. And you know, that has that's made from stuff that's somewhere out in the world that you know it's it's only going to go into a rubbish bin afterwards. And stuff. like, do you really need it? that that kind of stuff trying to get them to to think about the the world and that kind of way that the stuff that you buy in a shop comes from a place and to understand the sort of the connections to you know what's going on and resources in it in a sort of age appropriate way but that will hopefully build as as time goes on yeah are there any resources or children's books or tv shows or anything that you've found to be good about talking about climate in a kid-friendly way there are but i haven't spent a lot of time looking for them i know that there are loads of things out there um like the kids watch just kind of general science stuff on on netflix and we have a few kids books like there's greta saves the world i think that is kind of was was one um and it's it's a kind of a kid who's based on Greta Thunberg, but it's not Greta Thunberg and this she lives in the forest and realizes the animals are are all kind of dying because of the city that's next door to it and the kind of the the grown-ups aren't really paying attention um which i think is a great book and it's kind of like those little kind of things just sort of introducing those ideas actually the cool planet um experience once we can actually all go back out into the world again that's a brilliant resource and it's a great day out and the kids have we we, we took them to the um to us twice now and they still want to go back but in it you get like a little uh wristband at the start and it asks you a few questions and it kind of to measure your carbon footprint and then as you go through kind of these each room is an exhibit you touch on to your into the room and it'll tell you like this is your carbon footprint and let's see how we can reduce it so like there's one where you're you're dragging your um shopping into the um recycle bin and um, where you put it in the brown bin the black bin the green bin and then um dragging people out of cars into public transport like the little kind of interactive games and it shows you then kind of this reduces your your um your your carbon footprint and um, and there's this big diorama in front of it that changes from this dark dirty futured city to a, a a clean green kind of a city so it's um it's a great kind of way to introduce them to the the concepts i want to go to that yeah <laughs> well. I, I, it's it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun brilliant and i know another thing that happens with um activism um especially when you're a bunch of people who don't really know what they're doing all trying to you know in a non-hierarchical uh, non i never say that word and no hierarchy <laughs> circle <laughs> like extinction rebellion um it's quite easy to suffer with uh burnout where you just you're motivation goes and you need to take a break so 
I think you've probably experienced that. I know I have. How do you deal with that? Uh, yeah, definitely. It, it all happened right around the same time as coronavirus as well. So put mm. that on top of it. So I, I just went like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a burnout break. I just kind of worked on the garden, learned more about planting food. I started wood carving. I kind of got a little knife and started kind of carving. Um, we got a book on how to like carve little things. For me, it was kind of start doing just a bit more creative kind of stuff, start drawing and stuff. And yeah, I, I think if, if anyone is feeling it, just take that time and step back. There was one, one thing I went to was there was, um, I think it was Friends of the Earth or South Climate Chaos arranged a, a training that um, it was about kind of getting groups to, to work together. And um, they asked everybody to stand in a line and close your eyes. And they said, take a step forward if you um, have ever felt this way. And it's like, take a step forward if, if you uh, felt that taking a break would let other people down. And I think so many people just step forward at that thing. It's like, and, and if you feel guilty about taking a break, I think that's like people sometimes, it, it feels sometimes so pressing and so important that it's hard to actually take time and, and step back but it's it's super important to do and, and i think maybe from the first experience of taking up my, my break was like four or five months or something that has helped me understand maybe more the importance of being able to step back yeah like more frequent short breaks like yes yeah 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 but yeah it's it's the whole the whole thing doesn't just collapse because you you need to take some time and, and and then just do whatever it is like for me it was kind of in part just connecting with the things that i used to do before i got involved with um extinction like reading um fiction which i because i went from like reading fiction all the time to start reading like books about climate change and those yeah. books about climate change. i need to know more about what's going on i need to be able to i need to have this information so that i can talk about it so then it was just reading things that had nothing to do with it watching daft tv shows and stuff and and you know playing playstation again silly things like that it's just important to to reconnect with who you used to be definitely um so so important i've started doing that as well reading fiction i am i'm just reading his dark materials at the moment i'm addicted i feel like a teenager again like i literally like just want to be reading my daughter has just read that and i've said i'm i'm reading it after you but she she she's desperate to re-watch the tv shows bbc series no no, you can't until i've finished reading Oh, it's so good. Um, but that's really good. And now you mentioned it there, just for anyone who hasn't heard of this or doesn't, their brain doesn't work when political speak is being spoken. Can you give like a bite-sized nugget as to what this whole CETA thing is? Um, I know it's spelled for anyone listening, C-E-T-A. You might see it online a lot. We won't go into it because there's a lot of information out there. Yeah, um, there's a just- lot to digest yeah, yeah with this so CETA stands for comprehensive economic and trade agreement um, and it is a trade agreement it's a mixed agreement between the EU and Canada it's not 100% trade because the EU has the right to just kind of plow ahead with any sort of trade deals um, without needing 
individual EU states to vote on them. There is 98% of the deal has been in, has been up and running since 2017. And um, so all the trade bits, the reduction tariffs kind of that we can, you know, buy and sell backwards and forwards, that's all up and, up and running. But what people are all up in arms about at the moment is the last 2%, which, which contains this investment court system. If Ireland, for example, were to pass a law that would affect the future profits of um, these corporations, either Canadian corporations or um, corporations that set up a Canadian subsidiary, they can then sue the Irish state for the profit that they would have made if we hadn't passed that law. It's an evolution of this um, investor state dispute settlement, ISDS. There's all these letters and acronyms. It's, it can get kind of overwhelming. But corporations used to kind of, when they wanted to go in and do business in the developing world and um, South America or something, they would say, well, we don't trust your laws to actually defend our property rights when we go in there. So within this deal, this trade deal we're going to set up with your country, we're going to have this separate court system. They'll rule on, on you know, what if, if you change laws or you try to renationalize um, something that we own, then we can sue you through that. And and in, in practice, the investment, the settlements go into billions sometimes on some of the, the biggest cases. So right right when we're we're at a point where we're going to have to make these emissions reductions of seven percent per year, that's going to affect a lot of companies' potential profits. So while we're legislating to actually make that happen, we don't want to give corporations then the right to sue the state because what happens is that politicians, then there's a thing called regulatory chill, um, where instead of if you're you know Joe So politician, and you're saying, well, if I pass this law, this company is very likely to sue me. Best thing is not to pass the law in the first place. Um, because this is, or not sue me, but will sue the state. So like, like Veolia is one of the, is the company that runs, um, Lewis. They sued, um, the Egyptian government, um, for raising the, um, the minimum wage because they're saying this is going to affect our profits. And they tried to sue them for 175 million. They didn't win in the end, but the case went on for six years. And it's all kind of done behind um, closed doors and stuff. And on average, the cases cost about eight to ten million to um, to actually just you know have the case. So it can cost the government that much. They can cost upwards of, of thirty million. Yeah, that's we're kind of exposing ourselves to this. We're, this this trade agreement has this ICS thing that will allow these companies to just bypass the Irish court system and the EU court system, and it's this separate system that is set up within the trade deal. They're not even Irish judges or anything that are in it. They're kind of these big, powerful corporate lawyers who go about and sell this as a service in many cases. So they'll approach corporations and say, did you know that you can actually sue this country for loss of profits because of this law that they just passed? And it's like, oh, well, we're not a Canadian country a company. It's like, oh, don't worry. We'll set you up with the Canadian subsidiary PO box. And so it's like this service that they provide oh um, and, and go out and sell. So it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. And, um, Cyprus has, um, voted against it. Um, there's only half the EU countries have actually ratified it. And it's, it's, it's been looked at in the German courts and to see whether it's constitutional or not. 
there's a question whether it's constitutional here or not, but the government tried to have a quick vote on it before Christmas and kind of, so when nobody's paying attention and there was kind of uproar, it was spotted in time, there was uproar. The Green Party used to have a, um, a policy against it. I think they still do have a policy against it, but it's, it's causing serious problems inside the Green Party. Um, people have left um, the party because of it um, or in part because of it. Um, so right now, there's loads of people just trying to actually, again, raise awareness of it, saying like the only way that we can stop this or get it be sent back to the EU for renegotiation is to actually get the general public aware of what this will mean and to contact their TDs because most TDs don't even understand it themselves. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, That's one of the things that I've learned in, in kind of this period of activism is that TDs have... Sometimes it's, it's tempting to think that they're all kind of like plotting against us. Sometimes it's like, oh, they're only, they're only listening to the big business and stuff. A lot of the time they are just, they just don't know. They're, someone's handed them down. This is what the party policy is. And say, okay, I'll take that as, as fact. Um, but when you actually go and speak to them, you realize that they don't understand the half of what they're talking about. Most TDs don't understand where we are with the climate crisis. They don't understand how pressing it is. They don't understand that we won't be able to fix it in 20 years from now. Um, and they keep kind of, it's like just easier to kick it down the, down the road. Um, so it, it takes lots of people contacting them and talking to them about these things and telling them about it. And, um, and just saying, look, I'm concerned about it. Even an email, just say, I'm concerned about this. What are you doing about this? makes them go and look at it in, in kind of more detail thank you paul that, that's perfect and i'll link like the there's i know there's a petition and there's certain websites that you can go on and just be given a list of your local td so i'll link those in the show notes and before we go paul i am going to ask you some random questions we only have time probably for two or three and these could be anything they could be random they could be deep all you gotta do is pick a letter between between A and Z, pick a letter in the alphabet. Uh, Q. Q, interesting. Q for question. If you could drop one fact into every brain on the planet that they would believe without question, what would it be? That we have to act right now on climate change what a surprise <laughs> it's a good one i know because if there if conspiracy wasn't an issue like what would you want everyone to believe okay all right pick another letter uh c c one request you would make of your younger self um maybe to do something that would help me do what i do now professionally <laughs> you know, like so so it's like it would have, it would have been good to have kind of um become more aware of the climate crisis earlier and actually get involved so that it would be nice if it, if it could be my day job at the same instead of like being day job family then this yeah. <laughs> it's like it would be nice to just have the day job and this at the same time <laughs> it is possible to earn money from you know working against the climate crisis yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a fair request. Um, and another letter? Uh, S. S for Sycamore. If you could release someone from prison, who would it be? Oh, God. Um, I don't know. There's so many environmental activists and things that um, are 
locked up for like doing what we're trying to do mm-hmm. in in South American countries or and to be honest I don't I don't even know names but all the environmental activists all one in, of them yeah, all of them yeah yeah <laughs> and last one one more letter f f one thing you wish you learned in school yeah it probably ties in with the the, the thing <laughs> as, as well i think i do remember actually um a biology teacher in school saying you guys you know are in serious trouble um, really yeah I, just as an aside at one point, and I remember, I think we were in a study group or something, and and I was like, "What?" And it's like, "Oh no, this is going to be a serious problem." And 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 you know, when, when ten years from now, it's like a serious problem now. But yeah, it's I suppose learning more about climate change earlier would have been would have been good. Yeah, similar themes. Very good, Paul. I'm going to thank you so so much for giving me your whole lunch hour. <laughs> I hope <laughs> hope you get to eat some nice food and I'll link uh, your blog and how your Twitter and how people can get in touch with you in the show notes and any links. I'll link uh, the documentary, Al Gore's documentary as well. If anyone has, I actually haven't seen it. I watched it. I think, I think my parents might have watched it years ago. It's, it's, it's dated now. It is yeah. dated now. And it's a bit, it's a bit, uh, a lot about like kind of uh, Al Gore. Like kind of, there's a bit of that sort of American politician. Um, what I'm know, doing look, is great. Yeah, yeah look at me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you have I a guess, favorite documentary you've seen recently? Um, I I really liked the uh, Greta Thunberg um, one. Is it called Greta? Um, I'm not sure where she's crossing the the ocean. Yeah. That, I haven't yeah. seen it yet. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, and Kiss the Ground. Yeah. That was that was that had me choked up a couple of times it was right when I was kind of um, burnt out and then kind of he, he says like I won't I won't give up if you don't and um, I was like oh, okay I have to go back and get involved again <laughs> damn you Woody Harrelson <laughs> oh god I love it all right so we're best friends with Woody I'll link those as well for anyone who hasn't yeah. checked them out thank you so so much Paul really appreciate it thank you thanks for winning car pleasure now that was Paul I hope you enjoyed that I hope you have a little bit of an understanding as to what CETA is we really like touch the surface of it because it is so huge it's a lot to digest um so I will just link some other resources that if you do want to read up on it more sign petitions you can check out what's linked and I'll link Paul's blog post on CETA that's probably like the best thing to do and he has these really amazing drawings he's a really good like cartoonist very good so I definitely would recommend checking out his blog and I've linked all of the documentaries everything that he mentioned is linked in the show notes so you don't need to go anywhere else just click the little about at the bottom of this podcast episode and you should find it all there and yeah if you guys have any questions suggestions just get in touch and that is really all I have to say I think on this on this Sunday and you guys are going to be listening to this on a Monday so I hope you have a lovely Monday or Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday whatever day of the week it is that you're listening to this on and any suggestions any ideas any um any questions you want to add to the random questions just send them my way that is everything thank you so much have a lovely two weeks and I will see you in two Mondays time bye